So moving from apathy to renewal. One thing that it's gonna take is each one of you, notice I said you, stepping up into leadership. Not me, not the elders, not just the staff, each one of you feeling called by the Lord and stepping up in whatever area the Lord has for you. For some of us, it might be starting new ministries. I don't wanna hold you all back. For some of us, it might be just joining a ministry that we never thought would be possible. For some of us, it is repairing and building up the things that the Lord has already put into our life. But renewal comes in that way. But it's also hard in a culture that pushes back against renewal in every way. Think about this. The culture is saying, be passive, not work hard. Do you feel that? Like the passivity that is happening within the church and outside the church is actually alarming, right? But God is calling us to something completely different. Pride is now the thing, right? Humility is not looked upon as the great virtue. It's pride. What, what, is, what have I been doing? Selfishness over community, right? It's me first over the community, over our neighbors, over our coworkers, over our family, over our church. It's get, quick, uh, get rich quick over slow down spirituality. It's build your following rather than build up those around you. What I'm asking you to do over this next season at Redeem is to actually choose the harder path. I always say this up here on stage. I wish I was asking, I wish it was better news for you all, right? But we are pushing back on the culture that's telling us to be passive, that's telling us to get rich, that's telling us to build our own following. We're saying we're going to slow down and we're going to build deep relationships with each other and we're going to see renewal happen in our communities. If you're in for that, then this will be a good talk. But if I have to convince you on that, then we're in trouble, right? Because the Lord wants to do something. The Lord wants to advance His kingdom in your life and in this community. Do you agree with that? He wants to advance the kingdom of God. But when we come with apathy, when we come with passivity, when we come with focusing on ourselves, He cannot work through us, all right? And so let's look at what happens with King David. Because what happens with David is the complete opposite of those things. If you remember... We started here with King David's story. 1 Samuel 16. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Jesse said, There is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. He will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Okay, so this is the moment. He is anointed, and we have been studying since this moment what happens to David. He goes back to being a shepherd. You think he would step into this anointing? He would be the dude now. He steps back into being a shepherd. He then has to fight Goliath. He then has victory after victory after victory, which leads to uh, leads Saul to be jealous of his popularity. Saul gets insecure. He worries that David is going to overthrow his 
throne. And so David flees because Saul is increasingly hostile towards him and wants to kill him. And so now he's living as a fugitive and pursued by Saul's army. David's town was just destroyed, if you remember. And all his family and his men's family were taken away. This is the life that David now finds himself in. And he has to fight back to get him. And so from this moment where Samuel gets clarity from God that this is going to be the anointed king, we believe that there is approximately 10 to 15 years that this next line happens. 2 Samuel 2. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. So for this, finally, uh, he steps into his calling. And when he's reflecting on this moment in David's life and all that's happened for him, there's five lessons that I think we can take from this. I'm, there's more than five, but five that I want to talk about that are important for each one of us when it comes to stepping up into our calling. Because we are, we are called to be countercultural, and these five lessons on leadership are actually countercultural to what you'll hear when it comes to leadership out there. And we, 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 we realize that these are kingdom principles that we're going to talk about, all right? So let's talk about the first thing. Number one, God develops your leadership slowly. All right? God develops your leadership. God does the developing, and he does it slowly. How fun is that, right? Does anybody else feel that? God develops your leadership slowly. Again, 10 to 15 years that David went through it, and here's the thing. God moves the heart much sooner than he comes with the solution. Do you ever feel that? I see it all the time. The Lord starts stirring something up in your heart. You start to feel a passion for something. You start to get a word from the Lord. You start to see a vision of what might come and you think tomorrow's going to be different but he's not done with you right he's going to give you the solution he's going to give you the pathway he's going to show you what's next but not right away so the question has to be asked why does he do this why does he do this because i believe that he gives us vision but then he's going to form us into that vision he has to do the forming look many of you are going to step into a calling at one point in your life here's the problem you're going to feel that but you're going to have to wait a long time for it as well waiting is not my thing if you've ever gone to starbucks with me and had a coffee with me waiting is not a good thing for me i was just having coffee with, uh, with my buddy curtis and uh and i i must have looked 15 times at the at the register to make sure my coffee was coming until I could be fully present. And you know, he, they pulled a shot and made it in like three minutes, which is a miracle when you think about it, but it still was not quick enough for me. Is anybody else with me on that? But what happens is he gives you a vision and he forms in that a vision for us. You may have to wait a long time. God prepares you slowly so that you're fully ready. That's why he does it. So you're fully ready. The other day I was in a, a prayer time with a, a pastor a couple months ago, a few months ago. And there's some things that the Lord, uh, I'm just, I'm wrestling with the Lord on. I'm asking for clarity from the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for vision from the Lord on. And so we decided to get together and pray. And as we were praying, I felt like, and he, he, could, he discerned with me, that I got some confirmations about what's going what's gonna to go in this 
specific uh, situation. And I got so excited that uh, I just kind of jumped for joy. I was totally stoked. And what's amazing is this pastor friend looked at me and he said, you know that oftentimes when you get a word like that, when you get confirmation like that, it means that he just asking you for more perseverance. Do you ever feel that? He, sometimes you get really excited like, oh man, tomorrow things are going to change. Everything's going to be different. And he's saying, no, sometimes the Lord just gives you a promise because he knows that you need to persevere a little bit longer, right? And to be honest, you can get excited about these things. But remember, when God points you to a direction or gives you a word, it's oftentimes that you need to have more perseverance in the middle of it. It doesn't mean that's going to happen right away. For me, it was a confirmation that God's got me, but God still has some deep forming to do within me. All right? God has deep forming that he wants to do in each of you. Romans 5. Let's look at this. Romans 5, 3 through 4. Not only so, but also glory in our sufferings. Everyone say sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. There is a painfully beautiful line in this. Highlight this one, Rachel. Throw it up there. Suffering produces. There is a production that God wants to do in us. The word suffering here means uh, afflictions, distresses, pressures, right? These are the things that the Lord puts in, in us. And why does He do that? Because He wants to produce something within you. He's not done forming you. He wants to deeply form you at your inmost being so that you're ready. And one thing that's really interesting is He's not saying, this is not some stoic way of thinking about this. This does not mean that you keep a stoic face. You go through anything with just not being knocked around, right? He's saying it's about endurance in times of trouble. Because, why? God is creating a growth within you in the middle of the distresses that you're going through. One of the challenges that I have as a pastor is that I get to walk alongside you in all your distresses. Some of you, I'm looking around, I wish that the distresses would end. Trust me. It's like, man, how is this continue for this person? How do they keep having to suffer? How do they keep having to go through this pressure? And I have to trust the Lord. I have to pray to the Lord. I know that you're deeply forming them. And out of it, they're going to be something different than they ever even thought was possible about themselves. Because there's, an end re there's a chain reaction that's happening that produces something in you. And what is that chain reaction? When we face distresses and with faithfulness and steadfastness, the character of God is getting produced within you. Think about that, right? The character is making you what? Read this. You are becoming a person of hope. The sufferings, the distress, the pain that you're going through is not for naught. It's so that you are ultimately looking more like Jesus. So you're walking around as like this person has been with Jesus. And you say, I know in all the suffering, distress, and pressures. Amen. Because he's making you into something. The deep work makes us people of abundance and hope and life and helps in significant ways. 
I, again, I said this sermon is one of those that like I wrestled with because it was for me, right? Uh, has anybody taken the, the strength finders test? Does anybody know the strength finders test? You know this? It's a personality test. You get like all these things. The, these are all the ways that you are. Everyone know, knows this. Everyone wants woo. Everyone wants all these futuristic ones, right? And so I have this list and you take this assessment and then it produces and it says here are your top five strengths. And so it says Kurt based on how you said this this is your top strength here was mine we do it self-assurance all right what is self-assurance I like to call self-assurance it's all the other strengths rolled up into one all right I think that I can do all everything all right I put my hope and my faith in myself more often than I should right I think that I can do this thing so I am assured that my opinion is right I am assured that the way I'm doing it is the right way and I'm assured that this is going to work. The Lord has been deeply forming me in this area. You could not believe the last three or four years. Like I said, there was we took a church where we had no building and there was about enough to just barely fit two rows. And then we, if you remember, for those that are new, you don't remember this, we met for over two years in the lobby down there. Get your head around that, alright? Until this finally came and he said, we're building you up. It's not about putting faith in yourself is about putting faith in me. So the question gets asked for you. This is the question. Are you willing, and it's a choice, are you willing to allow that formation to take place? Are we as a community willing to walk alongside each other in our suffering, in our distress, in our pressures, and to call each other to say, this is a good thing because your God is producing character. He's producing hope within you. He's making you look more like Jesus. He's deeply forming all the areas that he needs to change in you to advance the kingdom. That's what's happening. If you're going through pressures, if you're going through suffering, if you're going going through distress. That's what the Lord is doing. Isaiah 64. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. God is the creator and sustainer of life. And so here Isaiah is describing God as an artist that has formed you, that is forming you. And he's always going to do it the right way. God is always going to do it the right way. The clay does not say to the potter, this is not how I was supposed to be. The potter gets to make the decisions, all right? And what we see with God, is that uh, as a potter, there's no way to rush it. I've only been on a pottery wheel once in my life. I was terrible at it. Have you ever done a pottery wheel? It is amazing how they do it. But as, they, as God forms you, as God forms you, if he doesn't take time, if he, if he isn't patient with you, if he rushes, if he doesn't make the sides as thick as they should be, if he doesn't make it stand up just right, he's going to put you in the kiln too soon. The pressures and the heat are going to get too much. You'll fall over. You'll get warped. you get cracked. And he's saying, that's not what I want for you. I'm building perseverance in you. I'm building you slowly. I'm deeply forming you. The deep work is important work. And the Lord has you covered in the midst of it. All right? David. 
10 to 15 years, he has to walk through that. The Lord was deeply forming him to lead. Number two, allow others to promote you. Amen. Allow others to promote you. Today's world, we see this. With social media, everyone is a promoter. And everyone is a promoter of what? Everyone is a promoter of themselves. Everything is me, me, me. How many people are following me? How many people are looking at me? In Silicon Valley, I like to call them, there are narcissism engineers. There are people at all the social media things that are saying to you, think about yourself more because I'm going to get more revenue. You are the product when it comes to social media, right? Promoting yourself, especially in the next generation, is all that matters for most people. And what we see this is that's not what David did. With all that's going on with him and Saul, he could have promoted himself right after he killed Goliath. Could you imagine if Instagram was there after Goliath was killed, dude? That dude would have got like a million followers in one day, right? He would have been like, it would have been popping. He could have, every victory, he could have promoted himself, right? He could have turned all the men against Saul. He could have turned everyone in Israel against Saul. He could have said, look at me, look at me, look at me. But that's not what happens. We see this after Saul's death. 2 Samuel 2.4 again. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. The men of Judah, meaning the elders of the clan, right? They come and they anoint him. They were the men, some of them, that probably knew the anointing that David had. Some of them probably had no idea about the anointing they had. And some of them probably opposed David throughout his time, right? These are the men that now say, you're stepping into it. And what they see is that he didn't promote himself with his admirable, okay? It, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I had to throw this out, all right? Oh, wait. you got to wait on this. Brock Purdy. I'll bring it up. If you follow... If you follow Sports Talk Radio like me, you know that everything about Brock Purdy is this conversation. Everything is, is he a game manager? Apparently, game manager is like the most offensive thing you could say about a quarterback ever, right? And so a game manager means he's not good enough to actually win the Super Bowl. It's the people around him that are good enough. So this is Brock Purdy. I only found, when I, it was weird when I Google searched Brock Purdy 49ers, it only was pictures of, four, of Seahawks people tackling him. It was amazing. I don't know. Google has some algorithm or something. It's like, this is what it is. Look at that. That is a game manager if I've ever seen one. No, but what's really interesting is that it's the media and it's social media that are talking about Brock Purdy being a game manager. The thing that's interesting is the 49ers, coaches and players, do not care at all about the conversation. They're saying this. This is our leader. It doesn't matter what everyone else says. It doesn't matter what the whole world says. It says, do the people who are impacted by you, who are deeply close to you, who matter the most to you, that you matter the most to them, do they say, this is my leader? It doesn't matter if he's a game manager. It doesn't matter if he's going to win the Super Bowl. This is the guy that I'm following. And one of the challenges with it is that Brock Purdy never says anything. That's hard for me to do a San Francisco 49ers thing up there. Sorry. Forgive me. Brock Purdy 
does not promote himself. He doesn't say anything. He lets the other guys say it for him. One of the biggest challenges is God's deeply forming you. He's making you wait. He has a greater plan for you. And in the middle of it, over and over and over again, you're going to want to promote yourself. You're going to want to say, look at me. Look how ready I am. Look how I can step into this. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. When the time is right, people are going to promote you. The people who matter. This is the harder path, but it's the key kingdom path. Number three, handle your important moments well. Handle the important moments well in your life. In our culture, we live in a don't let things affect you. Here's the truth. Things will affect you. Things matter. Moments matter. There are deep things in your suffering. There are deep things in your sadness. There are deep things that are going to happen to you. Do not brush them off. Do not brush them off. Make the, uh, hold them as importance. Not on, a, not on a sense of like, put it more important than it should be, but rather make sure that you recognize the important moments well. So what's happening is the Philistines have just overtaken Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan is killed. If you remember, Jonathan is David's best friend. And Saul is mortally wounded. And he takes a sword and he kills himself. And so the people, the people of Israel are completely lost. You'll see that the men flee from their cities. And so you can see this, that David probably could be like, about time, am I right? About time for me to step up. But David doesn't do this. For 2 Samuel 1, after the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from, David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. So we see this. David doesn't blow past this news. He doesn't go straight to, all right, how am I going to step up and lead him? He doesn't go straight to, okay, this is my moment. How am I going to make this about my, myself? What does he do? He laments. He laments. And he doesn't put a smile on his face. He doesn't act necessarily courageous. He says, this is an important moment in my life. And it's a more important moment in the people's lives. So I'm going to lament. Second Samuel. David took up the lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. He goes on and on. We're not going to read this, but he laments. He, he writes this beautiful lament, this, this bow. He spends time in this moment and he, he says, I'm going to handle this situation well, even though bad things have happened to him at the hands of Saul, he says this is an important moment for the greater culture, for the people who he will be leading. 
there are moments that you're gonna ha that are gonna happen to you. Loved ones are gonna pass away. You're gonna lose a job. You're gonna have this this moment of freaking out. There's gonna be these moments that you have to move or you lose a relationship or things will change. Don't brush past them. Spend time experiencing the moment. Spend time lamenting on the moment. Spend time remembering the moment. Process the grief that needs to happen because we're going to see this. Number four. Remember, God works through generations. God works through generations. We focus on us. We focus on ourselves. God says, I'm doing stuff on a generational, on a generational sense. Let's look at this. Let's read that first part again. 2 Samuel 17, or uh, yeah, 1, 17 through 18. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. And he ordered the, that the people of Judah be taught this lament. Again, we live in a culture where it's all about me. And what will this move do for me? What will this promotion do for me? How much money will I make if I, if I do this? How, much, how many more things can I get? With God, it's all about generations. It's all about generations. We see this throughout scriptures, and here we see it. David says, make sure that all the people understand this moment. That, that, that generations would know that Saul and Jonathan, the first royal line of Israel, would be remembered. When God moves, yes, he's moving in your life. Yes, he's building you up. But he's also moving and setting things into motion for generation after generation after generation. Our minds can't work that way. But God is moving and setting things into motion for generations. Some of you are first generation Christians within your family. God not only saved you, but he is setting things into motion for generation for generation because of what's happening through you, right? Some of us have been here for redeemed for a long time and hear me say this a lot. I care deeply about each one of you adults in here. I do. But I care just as deep about the next generation that's in redeemed kids and in junior high because one day redeemed will be led by one of them, all right? And so generationally, as a church, we don't tell the kids to go away. We don't tell them that they're not important. We say, no, God is moving within us as adults and he's setting things up for generation to generation. You and your family, if you lead your family, it's not about you. It's about generational impact that the Lord is wanting to do through you. Because kingdom work is always generational work. Number five, live a life of listening. Live a life of listening. Second Samuel 2. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, Go up, David asked. Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. Again, he gets this news. He experiences the moment fully. He grieves. And then he consults the Lord for guidance. Now, there are moments where David doesn't do this. I want to be careful with saying that. Like, he's not a perfect example of this. But time and time again, David seeks to listen to the Lord. So he has gotten this news. He grieves and he laments. And what does he do? He goes 
and he listens for the Lord's leading. When you step into leadership, if anybody here is a leader, I know that we have several teachers, I know that we have several principals, I know that we have several uh, people that lead companies. When you step into it, you will listen to the Lord more than you ever have. You will listen to the Lord more than you ever have. And David says, I need to make this moment known, but I also need to slow down and make sure that my next move is not from me, but from the Lord. Every young person, listen to the Lord. We see this over and again. He consults the Lord and he listens to the Lord. Listening to the Lord is of the utmost importance. Spirit-led is the way to live. And when we step into leading something, our families, our jobs, ministries, relationships, whatever it is, listening is of the utmost importance. So how do we do this well? How do we do this well? If we want to be a church after God's own heart, we have to be a healthy, spirit-led church. I say it over and over again. Healthy is as important as spirit-led there, right? Healthy, spirit-led church. How are we together making sure that we're doing this well? We have to build muscles up. Learning to listen to the Lord is an ongoing process that requires things that we're really, really terrible at. It takes patience, it takes practice and it takes openness to listening. David lives a life of listening and over and over again we see him doing it. Psalm 25, Psalm that David wrote. He's in the middle of his troubles. And he says this, "Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths." Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. It takes time and patience to do this. But when moments hit you, like David, when all leadership falls on his shoulders, when a challenge that seems daunting falls on him, each one of us, no matter how big or small you're leading something, no matter how big or small you feel like you're leading something, there are moments where you have to step into your leadership and we have to listen to the Lord first. I also want to say this. Oftentimes, listening to the Lord is just for personal gain. We view it as this thing. I'm going to listen to the Lord for my own personal gain, for what I need in this moment. And the Lord is saying something completely different. It's not about focusing on ourselves. Ultimately, hearing God is not just about personal gain. There will be moments where He'll speak to you. But it's about participating in kingdom work. There might be something in the situation that you're going through. There might be something that you're leading. There might be a moment in your life where the Lord is saying, you're thinking too small. I actually want to tell you something. I actually want to show you something that is about the kingdom advancing in your life that you did not even think was possible. Listening for guidance in your life. Listening for ways that you can love others well. Listening for ways that you can serve your community. Listening for guidance in all the areas that you're leading people. Listen to grow and look more like Jesus. He's not a genie in the bottle. He's deeply forming you. He wants you to listen to His voice. He wants to speak to you because He wants to form you more into who He is. 
And over and over again, I hear, how do I listen to the Lord? How do I hear from the Lord? And unfortunately, here's the news. The answer is discipline. The answer is discipline. Consistent spiritual practices. Are you taking things in prayer to the Lord and sitting there and waiting? Are you okay, like Jason talked about in prayer right now, and, and, and bringing something to the Lord and maybe not hearing right away? Are you okay with the Lord telling you, I want you to wait on this? Is there an openness to not just think about what you want to happen, but to discern the Lord and say, this is what you want to happen, Lord? Getting into the Word knowing who He is, deeply being formed by His Word so that you know and you can discern His voice. Silence. Sitting in silence. Creating room for the Lord to work. How many of us are just like praying quickly on our car ride there, got the music blared up, and it's like, Lord didn't speak to me. Sitting in silence and waiting on the Lord. Spending time in the spiritual practice of silence. Praying together. Praying together. Seeking together. Not feeling like you're on an island and you got to figure this all out. Maybe there's one or two things that you deeply, deeply, deeply are grieving. Maybe there's one or two things that you need the Lord to move in. Maybe there's some things that you were like, I cannot figure this out myself. And you've never brought it to a trusted person that can pray alongside you, that can discern with you, that can listen to the Lord, that can, that can just sit and wait with you. Instead, we think it's all on us. And the Lord's saying, no, I want you to listen to me. All of this. We attune our hearts to God's voice when we spend time with Him. Man, you can come on up. I feel so passionate about this. If you know me, I've been called the Energizer Bunny multiple times in my life. I go, go, go. I didn't relax until Saturday of my vacation. I got two good vacation days because I'm just, my brain's going. And one of the things that grieves my heart the most is that we're okay and we're status quo with what's happening out there. That people are struggling so much. That people don't know Jesus. That the Lord might be trying to speak to us, but because we've been so busy or we've been too apathetic, we don't listen for the Lord's prompting. And I want to challenge each one of us to be okay with being deeply, deeply formed in the slowest way possible because the Lord has a vision for your life that is so much greater and so much more powerful than you can even think in your head. But it's if you're going to take the suffering and the distress and the pain and the sorrow and you're going to be willing to wait to be deeply formed. Are we willing to be a, a group of people that aren't promoting ourselves, aren't worried about what other people think about us, but seeking the Lord so hard that we just say, Lord, I just want to move your heart. It doesn't matter what anybody says about me. It doesn't matter what anybody... Look, I know I'm the pastor. I, I know I, I know that people behind my back are probably like, oh man, he's not good enough, or he doesn't have the right vision, or he doesn't have whatever. It doesn't matter to me because I'm following the Lord, and all that matters is, Lord, am I following you? And the people that matter the most in my life am I doing exactly what I'm meant to do and then are we willing are we willing 
to handle moments well and to think about generational impact. Lord, what are you trying to do that's so much greater than just personal gain in my own life? And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen. I'm going to sit here and hear from the Lord because I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to move faster than you. I'm the king of moving faster than the Lord. I've had to slow down and wait and say, Lord, slowly develop me. Slowly build me up. Slowly build up this church. Slowly build deeply formed people because we could have a thousand people in here who are not willing to be deeply formed or we could have a hundred people who are deeply formed and I'm telling you a hundred people who are deeply formed are going to advance the kingdom of God way more than a thousand people that are just sitting here and looking at what does this do for me. So are we willing to be a church after God's own heart? Are we willing to be deeply formed together? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are the potter and we are the clay. Who are we to say you're doing this wrong? And yet everything in me sometimes just wants to say, Lord, speed this up. Lord, move. But we know that your our suffering produces perseverance. Our perseverance produces character. Our character produces hope. And Lord, we so deeply want to be a church that brings hope to a community that has completely lost hope. Lord, your kingdom advances when hope advances. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our hope. Lord, everything we do is because of Jesus. Everything we do is because he's deeply forming us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't feel worthy, doesn't feel worthy to step into a calling that you have for them, doesn't feel worthy of stepping into leadership in their family, Lord Jesus. I pray against all the schemes of the enemy right now, Lord Jesus. We take back our families. We take back our community. We take back all the things that the enemy is trying to steal and destroy. And we say we are people of hope who are going to be deeply formed and we will push back on all darkness in our family, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And we will come, Lord Jesus, because we're deeply formed by you. We come with all confidence that you are the reason that the kingdom advances, not us. So Lord, I pray right now, each person, let's spend some time in silent prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just speak to some people. Show them where they might be missing it. Show them where their their insecurities might be getting in the way of what you're trying to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.